Before we get going today, I just wanted to take a quick moment to announce that the Ordinary Podcasting Network is launching a brand new show. Off the Shelf, with Julia Coltman is a podcast book club. Each month, host Julia Coltman will introduce her listeners to a brand new book and then offer insight, analysis, and maybe even a review. But she's inviting her listeners to read along with her. It's an opportunity for bookworms and those looking for just an excuse to pick up a new book, to follow along, listen, and engage. We're very excited about it here at the network, and it's going to launch this Friday, July 1st, everywhere you get your podcasts. So go subscribe now. You can listen to the trailer and get ready, because on Friday, she will introduce her very first book, Off the Shelf with Julia Coltman, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dyler Coltman, joined by Braden Dyler Coltman, Elliot Tanti. We were off last week. We are back. And uh, we have seen the end of two of the major sports seasons. They have concluded. Champions have been crowned. We will talk about that. We will talk about the boys of summer. And then we'll do hats off. It's going to be a tight, crisp, fun show for you. It is a hot day here in Vancouver. I know it's a little bit muggy and rainy in, in Alberta, but it's starting to feel like uh, the real sort of summer summer uh, weather has arrived across western canada and so too has the summer sports uh sort of i don't know ho-hum kind of drum moment in, in time it always feels like right when the nhl and the nba Easy. finish well like everything kind of slows <laughs> down you've got baseball maybe a little bit of soccer but it isn't quite uh, as like busy as it was a couple weeks ago when we were like right in the middle of the second round of both the NBA and the NHL, and there was lots going on. Uh, everybody's going into off seasons. Obviously, the NFL's gearing up for their draft. The NBA just had their draft. The NHL's draft is going to be later this year than normal. Free agency, all, all, all. We have lots to talk about when we get there. We're just sort of in that weird transition state. Here's my weird transition. Let's get right to it. Topic one. Okay. As I mentioned, champions have been crowned. We're going to take a topic to talk about both of them sort of concurrently and um, maybe do a little comparison. But let's start right now. Uh, as of Sunday night, the NHL season wrapped up game uh, six. Is that right? Game six, the NHL Stanley Cup finals. The Colorado Avalanche had had two attempts to win it. Uh, they lost uh, in Colorado a couple nights ago, which allowed Tampa Bay to have one more crack at trying to get a game seven out of them at home. But the Colorado Avalanche, uh, who had only lost two games uh, to the beginning of this series in the entire playoffs, dropped only two games to Tampa Bay. A very, very dominant and impressive run for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the first Stanley Cup to go to Denver in 21 years. Um and obviously, you know, the architect of this team being a member of that previous uh, dynasty there with Joe Sackick. Uh, Elliot, I'll go to you first. Uh, I don't know how much of the finals you watched. If once the Oilers were gone, your sort of interest waned. But just as far as a hockey fan in general, how do you feel that the Colorado Avalanche and this team uh, that they have um, put on the ice all season long, obviously a huge regular season, dominant playoffs. How do you feel that they are the champions of the 2022 Stanley Cup? Uh, you know, good, I guess. I mean, I, I think that they deserved it. You go 16 and four in the playoffs. Um, that probably speaks to how dominant of a team you were. Um, beating the defending, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions in Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay beat some darn good teams to get to the finals. So Tampa Bay had a good team. 
best goalie in the world. Uh, they deserved it, right? Very, like, and um, what I love about this story is the end of the playoffs last year, you had Nathan McKinnon sort of snap in the interview saying, you know, I've been here, I don't know what it was, seven years or eight years and I haven't won shit and everyone lost their minds. Uh, I just love when, you know, a star player like that has one of those moments and then goes and delivers the next year or the next time they have a chance to do it. Um, and, and they did. And I, you know, I think good for them. They've put together an amazing team and, uh, and got the results that they wanted. I, and, and good for them because this team is not going to look like this next year. I mean, I was just looking at their cap friendly a couple of weeks back. I think I mentioned it to you boys. Like <clears throat> there's a lot of contracts coming to an end there. That team is going to look very different and there's some paydays due. So uh, this was their chance and, and they went and did it. So good for them. I guess my takeaway was I think there is going to be more than usual, and that's saying something, talk about officiating uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Interestingly, I think the officiating throughout the playoffs up until the Stanley Cup Finals has actually been pretty good. Um, but there were some clearly some glaring issues, including the second goal tonight, I guess. Um, and, you know, once again, we're ending a season celebrating a team, but also questioning the quality of officiating in this league. And I just don't think these questions are going away. So let me pivot for a second because I'll, I'll Braden, I will let you talk about Colorado in a, in a moment, but I won't, this topic has sort of a two headed element to it. And I want to focus on that for a second. The NBA finals also concluded in six games, the golden state warriors are champions. Once again, it puts four rings on Steph Curry, Draymond green, um, I believe Andre Iguodala has been there that whole time. Um, obviously, Clay uh, and and more and Steve Kerr, who's been sort of their architect and, and the coach that's led them through all of this. Uh, what has become interestingly kind of an up and down dynasty. Um, when you look at the Warriors as a champion, um, probably not the team a lot of people expected at the beginning of the year to be here. Maybe. Um, they did, maybe not, but but a lot of injuries along the way to some other teams, open doors, opportunities were there. I would say probably more than that. The Celtics were not expected to be in the finals, but they were a very worthy opponent for the Warriors. You're a big baseball or pardon me, basketball fan. What uh, is this question? <laughs> you've well, I'm just saying Speaking as I asked <laughs> as I asked Elliot about the Avalanche. Yeah. Do you believe the Warriors are sort of I mean, are you happy or satisfied with the conclusion of the NBA season? Did they deserve to be oh, the champions I, and, and all of yeah. that? Yeah, thrilled. I think I've, I live with a Boston Celtics fan, so it's definitely hard to see the Celtics, who had a great season, uh, lose the way that they did. Uh, you know, they, they played really, really well, and they will be back there. But I think uh, to see Steph Curry and that that franchise really cement uh, even more of a legacy, a dynasty, but to cement for Steph Curry, having won the finals MVP as well, that he is the greatest shooter of all time and should be absolutely considered in the top five conversation uh of nba players full time uh yeah super thrilled it's great for the game and and to i mean what's fun about the warriors is yeah we didn't think that they were going to be there because they were in the lottery the last two years uh but that was that was because of injuries and it just kind of proved further how how much um these players impact uh, on on winning and on on you know creating a championship uh goes into it uh, for the, and it's the same with Avalanche. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for that organization. I think that they built something really, uh, really special, and it was able to uh, put away what what was a potential dynasty here in Tampa Bay as well. 
Okay, so I'll ask like the impossible question though. But every year, the NBA and the NHL's playoffs go up against each other. You've watched a lot of both of them, Braden. For you, if you had to say one or the other was the more sort of dramatic or impressive storyline, which of these two champions would you lean towards? Is it the comeback of the Warriors, the fourth championship for Curry, the, the sort of resurgence of the recognition that Curry is probably maybe the top five players of this generation, mm-hmm. maybe top 10 all time? Uh, or is it the, as you say, as Elliot sort of brought up, the, the comeback from not quite being able to get over that hill and now climbing the mountain for the Colorado Avalanche, their young core that has become less young, but is still the same core. Um, which of these two for you is the is the is the better storyline or the better story? It's got to be the Warriors. I think that, I think, I mean, I loved watching the NHL playoffs. My team was in it. It was happening. It was great, you know, to, to see what Colorado, but there was no real surprise there. Colorado was the bona fide team to beat, I think, throughout the entire playoffs. I mean, there were surprises once Florida was gone, once Carolina was gone, and Colorado just continued to dominate the whole time. And the Warriors didn't do that. They they went to a couple different game sevens that that made it uh, all that much all that more impressive uh, for them to have succeeded the way they did. Elliot, I'll ask you the same question for you. Uh, if you've got to pick one of the two storylines here, which champion do you think is the champion of champions? Oh, I think it's the Warriors too. Uh, and the story was Steph Curry in the fourth ring. Uh, yeah, just proving, you know, champions are champions. We've talked about this throughout the entire NHL playoffs, mostly, or throughout the playoffs in general, mostly related to Tampa Bay, but uh, just showing what it, you know, when once you've been there, what that kind of difference can make in, in, in those settings and in playoff settings. And the Warriors went out and do, did it. I think it's outstanding. But not to take anything away from Colorado. I mean, they've had a spectacular year and a, a spectacular playoffs. I, I think both were great, honestly, and that's good. That's okay. That's I'll give the slight edge to the Warriors, but both seasons have been really good. And <laughs> the craziness has been, you know, that's kind of, you know, I, it's always nice. I think the other thing about the NBA that's really nice is it, it's interesting when the expected favorite isn't there. And uh, that was, that's always makes for better watching. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll finish with this to, to round this topic out. Obviously Tampa Bay went back to back and now back to back to back appearances. Three, three Stanley Cup finals in a row is, is a feat we haven't seen in, again, over almost a decade. Um, they're a very, very incredible team. When you look at the Warriors, they went, I think, to three, almost four finals in a row before their sort of valley of darkness to figure out the injuries and stuff. Is that right, Braden? Three, four. They had three in a row with with uh, Cleveland and then the one with the Raptors a year later, right? So that was four, four appearances in a row. Here's the question. You have to take the Warriors or the Avalanche. Which team do you think has the better chance of repeating next year? And obviously, they're different sports. It's a lot harder, I think, in the NHL because of just the 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 the, the fluctuation, let's say, of the parity in the teams. leagues. Yeah. Um, but if you had to if you had to put money down today on who you expect to see in the finals again, not necessarily win it, but see in the finals next year, would you go with the Colorado Avalanche? Are they built to to, to go back to back, or is it the Warriors? And and are they looking for their fifth championship a year from now? Well, this I mean, this is. This is, yeah, this is probably more of an impossible question than the last, just in that so much changes and so, so many sure. different factors come into how, what the other teams look like. Right. Sure. Um, but looking uh, just at these two teams as they're the constructed. Of the Warriors, I, I think it's going to be harder for the Avs to get back here than it is for the Warriors. I, I do think that 
Warriors don't have as great a chance of getting back to the finals with the, the kind of movement around them in the league. Uh, but the, the dynasty that is, like, he, I wouldn't put it past them to be, to be back there again. Elliot, you agree with that? Is it maybe a little bit easier in the NBA than the NHL to, to go back to back? Yeah, maybe if you buy the nature of sports, but I think I'll go the other way. And I, and I think I'll go with the abs. I, I, you know, after having spent the first part of the segment talking about how they, you know, this is their one shot because of their roster. Sure. Uh, that being said, though, uh, Nathan McKinnon is Nathan McKinnon. Uh, you've got Landeskog there. Uh, you know, they're going to it's going to take some work to kind of rebuild that team. Um, but there is such value, particularly in NHL and having done it once before. And you can't help but think once those guys get into the playoffs, which presumably they will, they're not going to fall off a cliff next year, despite their roster challenges. Um, they're going to be a tough out as every Stanley Cup defending Stanley Cup champion is always a tough out. Uh, and so I think. For that reason, I'd give the slight edge to the Avs. Um, but it would be interesting to take some predictions right now. Who goes further in their playoffs? Uh, the Avs or the Warriors next year? And I would take the Avs. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll just finish with this. I'll say that you know I, I, what what impressed me the most about Tampa Bay the last couple of years was the way in which they were so just steady and calm through regular seasons. Remember, they came into this playoffs as quite a low seed compared to what you'd expect from a championship uh, team. They they were not, you know, dominant through the regular season. It was almost like they were holding back a little bit the way you, you see more in the NBA where you've got guys taking nights off and stuff. It's like they knew all they had to do was get in and then they knew they had the horses to get them to the finals just based on, uh, you know, what they have um, and, 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 and the experience they've had of being there. So I think Colorado now has the challenge of being, um, you know, what's this off season look like? How much partying is there? How much celebrating is there? Are they going to prepare themselves and be ready to go next year? How does that regular season play out? You're going to have a lot of teams coming for them now in a different way than they've ever had, but that experience factor is important. We haven't seen a lot of back-to-back champs in the, in the NHL in recently, I believe Tampa Bay was the first team in the salary cap era to go back-to-back, which is pretty impressive. Well, finals, right? Like we've seen Pittsburgh, Detroit. Yes, there true. Teams times. of getting to finals is, is LA, one thing. you got to get Chicago. over the hundred percent, but I, I think I would probably also lean towards the Warriors just because I think that they, the NBA is a different animal. It's a fewer, fewer impact players make a difference. And obviously the Warriors still seem to have um, those guys, um, Steph Curry and, and their Clay lottery Thomas picks. And, That's the crazy thing. Like they're, yeah, they're rebuilding guys. with this dynasty already yeah. in place. So, so we'll see. Anyway, let's leave it there for now. Congratulations to both the Colorado avalanche and the golden state warriors uh, our 2022 champions in the NBA and NHL. Corey Perry signs with the Avs this offseason, I'm sure of it. Topic two this week is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. All right, topic two, as I also teased off the top, is now officially baseball season. 
It is the only of the major sports left playing. I mean, we can talk about the CFL, but in America, as far as America is concerned, it's the big, the big four and uh, the major league baseball finally gets to take center stage because there's no more basketball and hockey to be played. Although we all really know that the conversations that are going on right now are about the NFL draft, but major league baseball gets a little bit of a backseat until October. However, lots of baseball being played. I've got two baseball fans here on the show, probably some of them listening. Let's talk about baseball. We, we each, uh, I gave the homework of each of us bringing a baseball story to the table. Braden, uh, I will go to you first. What do you want to talk about from the baseball world? What's, where do you want to start with us? Well, I want to talk about how dreadful the umpire strike zone calling has been. Um, it, it's been, usually it's pretty horrendous. This year, it's abhorrently horrendous. Uh, the, the, <laughs> So the Jays had a game, uh, I want to say two weeks ago, uh, where Doug Eddings was behind the plate. And his, uh, let me just pull it up here, his cold ball accuracy, Elliot Jordan, 99%. That's fantastic. Lots of room, call those balls. His cold strike accuracy, 64%. Like, it was so, and it it, it wasn't, I mean, obviously the players know when the ball's out of the strike zone, the, all the team seems to be able to tell, like it, it was, it just became so clear throughout the game that he was missing so many calls and, and it lost in the game. They lost six, uh, seven to six, the, the white Sox and extras. So the next day they go to give their lineup cards uh, to the, to the umpires. And instead of sending their manager, Charlie Montoya up to the plate, they send their hitting coach. And their hitting coach cordially, you know, greets all of the umpires and then shakes the hand of Doug Eddings, who's now not behind the plate, but, you know, he's a first or, or something base umpire for the next game and starts getting into it with him. The minute that happens, he's thrown out of the game. Sure. Like, so, you know, I'm good with that. that that's, that's, you're arguing the fact that this baseball. it's baseball, you know, he's, you're arguing it. He gets five, he gets a five game suspension and a fine for simply arguing the fact that they lost the game due to the inaccuracy on the, on these strike calls. It's, it, and it's, that's, it's bullshit. That's so frustrating. So, okay. So I have a question then. Is it uh, time to just accept that we need to move to robo? Well, we're already doing so much of that. I think, I mean, there's, no, but like, not, is I'm it not, not sure. clear not that, sure. I mean, I watched the same highlight you did where they put together like a super cut of every called strike that yeah. you can see on television is clearly it's not a strike and it's so offensive. Like it's brutal. And the truth is, I mean, we sh- like if I'm not, a, I'm not a commissioner or something, but I would think if my role in my job was to protect the integrity of a sport that I would be looking at this from two perspectives. One, obviously this is bad for the game itself because Oh, it's terrible. The actual quality of the, of the baseball is being impacted. But the second part is I want to protect my umpires and the integrity of my umpires by giving them a, 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 a sort of the protection of cameras don't lie, especially in this sport. We've, the, the, the technology of these cameras and the ball tracking is so advanced that it is clear yes or no. And if you, uh, remove, the, if you remove that one element from the umpire, right, you remove that one element that is that that 
immediately their work is, you know, the, the evidence of, of their work is being shown to the viewing public. If you remove that from them and allow them to officiate the game in every other aspect where there's a lot more subjective elements that are less cut and cold, cut, cut and dry. Um, I think that you will increase both the integrity of the referees, the ability for them to maintain um, the, the, the flow and rhythm of a, of a baseball game without this one piece of it, where they are literally just, I mean, I would be embarrassed if I was him and I watched that package back because it was it was so blatantly bad. That's really Elliot, bad. you seem to disagree, but well, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't. I, I the only thing I challenge there is I don't know. I think the technology is where it needs to be. They're trying this in some double A leagues and some triple A leagues, and they are having problems with the technology. The issue is not because the, the players now, the pitchers now have so much movement on the ball. It's really yeah. difficult to track. But that's what I'm saying. Here it is when they get crosses. No, the I don't so agree. The technology, is, the, the, the technology isn't. All that tells there. me, all that tells me is that we should be taking the, 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 the fallibility of the human eye out of the equation. There well, are high speed cameras that are able to they are able to track this at 150 yeah. frames per second, which literally is going to see every four, you know, four inches that that ball travels. You can break the whole thing down. You'll there see is exactly a question on the technology. Back. I don't know enough about it, but I, there, there's been plenty of questions about the technology. Okay, fine. So then, but but combine it then. With the don't make it one or the other. I'm not saying get rid of the umpire altogether. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm not sure. Enhance their the ability. Give but them what help. I think. Where I think you could, where you might be able to use that type of technology is sort of in between innings saying like, hey, so where did you see this? This is where the camera was. Look at this is where the strike zone is. Like, well, we need to be adjusting. And to, no, and to do what? To readjust, right? Yeah. And readjust. so this is the what suggestion the went up that... to on the, the next game to say, to say this was, you're, you're, you're off. Like a little accountability yeah. here, or at least for you to tell me, hey, I, I messed up some of those calls because I know you watched some of those calls back or at least the whole game. But this is what as, I'm saying. Remove this student. element. Protect your umpires by giving them the actual tools necessary to, to, to make the right call. That's the same in every sport. Look, we've seen offside calls that were clearly not offside calls. We've seen now a, 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 an overtime goal scored in the Stanley Cup finals that was clearly too many men on the ice for almost four seconds, which apparently is a subjective call. All that really means is all four of the officials were watching the puck and not watching the fact that McKinnon was still skating off the bench because when those calls are usually made is when the puck is by the bench and it's clear in their line of sight. There needs to be in, across all of these sports, the opportunity for technology to be used in, in an efficient but an effective way to support these officials, make it better for them. Because the amount of camera angles that are available to the viewing public is only exposing the imperfection of the officiating more and more every single year. Yeah. And that's and where the integrity is challenged. Look, we have cameras that can, teeny little cameras that can go into human veins and stuff. Don't tell me the technology isn't there. Like there is so much, there are so many cameras on in every single one of these sports that there are ways to make this at least better well, than it is. And is if you I'm invested saying. some time and energy in it, that's the other thing too, is that that's my pushback to baseball more. So oh, yeah. it's like, yeah, just invest some time and energy in it. Yeah. I mean, the truth is Jordan though, like, I, I mean, basically outside of calling balls and strikes, I don't really see a role for empires moving forward. Okay. Well, so then that's Fair. the thing. There is no, but let me tell you what the other role of the umpire is because it goes to what the storyline I wanted to bring up today. So my, my piece of it is the story of what happened today with the Seattle Mariners and Los Angeles angels. We saw one of the lengthiest and, and biggest bench clearing brawls in the last, at least couple seasons of major league baseball. Uh, the, mm. every single 
bench cleared. I mean, it was violent, more violent than usually see. Usually the bench clearing brawls, a couple guys throw a couple swings. Most of their teammates grab them. They separated. We're talking about like six or seven guys who are on the ground. It like throwing full. F- Go watch the, the highlights of this. Yeah, thing. I've seen worse. I've seen worse. Sure. Anyway, regardless, this does not happen every day in baseball. No, it should not happen every not. day in baseball. And it was it was a mess. And the truth is, that is the kind of situation where the umpire has to manage the game. This is the third batter hit by a pitch in that. It, no, second in the inning, third in the series. There was a hit, a hit pit, batter, uh, pitcher hit, hitting a batter earlier in the series already. The point being, when you have both managers and six players ejected after a huge fight like that. Uh, clearly it's a big storyline. It got really, really ugly. It also got a little comical. I don't know if you saw, uh, uh, or, uh, pitching early, coach or whoever it was on the well, ground. A little bit, yeah. That guy, but earlier on around. too, just before the bench came brawl, when, when the, uh, angels, I think first player got hit, they were a little bit frustrated that, that oh. there was a, a missed call and he threw an entire, like, like crate size, flat Costco size, flat of, uh, unopened, uh, sunflower seed bags out onto the field, which took a good few minutes to pick up and clean up. Uh, it was one of those classic baseball moments where it's just sort of the absurdity of the whole thing kind of exploded on them. I guess that's a situation where the empire probably could have done better, but uh, that's well, he, didn't, of, he didn't throw him out of the game right away. That's the problem. Exactly. So he that allowed that. He allowed that trip exactly. to happen. Elliot, look, uh, you're absolutely right though. Uh, there's, there's, it's, it's an imperfect science. Let's talk about an imperfect team that is trying to uh, continue to improve. You've got the Padres. They are the uh, unofficial uh, team of this podcast. Um, uh, give us your Padres update before we close up this topic. Well, I am just so thrilled with how the Padres are playing this year. They are on track to make the playoffs. They are definitely one of the best teams in the league. In fact, at this point in the season, they are, they've got a better record than any Padres team in history. I attribute <laughs> that 100% to my fandom and me starting to follow the team this year. Clearly, I've had a massive effect on this team. Also, Bob Melvin, uh, their manager, is also, you know, you give him some of the credit too, but mostly my fandom is really. I would say, you know, it's great. I mean, you know, one of the questions that we started when we chatted to start the year was like, is the hitting going to be able to keep up with this team? When is this going to fall off? They're managing to win games 2-1, 3-2. They are getting some hitting from Manny Machado. And up in, it's basically Manny Machado and someone every game that kind of gets them across the finish line. And, heck, they're a game and a half back of the Dodgers. They're four and a half up on the Giants. No one would have uh, picked that. And they're doing all of this without Tatis Jr., which is what is so exciting and awesome about uh, this team is that they're 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 outstanding. They've got probably best starting pitching in baseball, maybe top two, top three in the league. Uh, they've got the closer with the most saves uh, in the league right now in Rogers. I, I mean, I, no better time to be joining, you know, Padres fandom. They're playing outstanding and great. Really stoked to continue to follow this team. And I'm all in boys. This is this is awesome. All right. Well, I guess uh, for you, man, the, the, they are having a great season. Like the Dodgers can be hard to, to compete with, but big series, this very good season. They play Dodgers for the second time. This is their second series with the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, and the first time since I think they played them like the second week of the season. So that'll be a good check-in point. They've, they've, they've slid a little bit in the last little bit. Machado's hurt. 
So there's some questions there, but man, they have a great pitching staff. And so that'll be the test. Let's see if they can, if they can get one game and my God, maybe two against the Dodgers. Holy smokes. That would be amazing. There you go. All right. Well, de- trade deadline coming up here soon too. So, so yeah, the, the Padres are in a weird spot. They basically their owner has said that they won't go over the salary cap or whatever the tax cap levy thing is, and they're like they're two hundred thousand dollars off of it. Okay. So they'll have to have some money going out. There's lots of talk about Hosmer going out. Everyone in San Francisco or uh, in oh. San Diego, I've learned hates Hosmer. Uh, so I hate Hosmer, obviously, because I'm part of the fandom. Uh, so they they're they're talking about sending him out, uh, and he's got quite a hefty contract. Uh, but they're going to do something because uh, this is a legit, they're a good team. And I think that they are uh, they're. I'll say it right now. They're a contender for the world series this year. Got to oh, watch out go. for them. Damn Yankees, buddy. They're on another level. Yeah. The Yankees it's are scary. How good the Yankees are actually the whole oh. AL East is incredibly scary. Well, uh, lots of excitement then. Uh, as we come into the true baseball season here, the dog days of summer, as they say. And uh, we will definitely follow uh, all of that trade deadline and whatnot as we carry on. But uh, for now, uh, go swinging friars. That's topic two. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing... Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. Topic three this week is hats off. For those uninitiated, we each will tip our cap to someone in the sporting world who we believe Deserves a moment of acknowledgement. I will go first. Elliot talked about his newfound fandom of the Padres. He has jumped on that bandwagon full-heartedly. I, as a born and raised Edmontonian, grew up as a Edmonton football team, now the Elks fan. However, in recent years, I fell out of love with that franchise. In fact, I had really left the CFL behind altogether. Um, But just this year, I decided I would give it another try try one more time, but I had to switch teams and allegiances. It's the first time I've ever cheered for a Vancouver based team. I've become a BC Lions fan and boy, like Elliot, did I pick the right moment to do it. My hat goes off this week to Lions quarterback, Nathan Rourke, who has set an NFL, pardon me, a CFL, good Lord. An NFL record in the CFL. (laughs) No, he set a CFL record for throwing 436 yards on Saturday night. Uh, leading the Lions wow. to just an absolute blowout over the Toronto Argonauts, 44-3. The Lions are 2-0, and and both of their games have been absolute blowouts. I was at the home opener. They beat the aforementioned Elks. Uh, I took my young three-year-old uh, son to his first CFL game, and he loved it because every time they had the ball, they scored, and the crowd went crazy, and it was fun. Nathan Rourke is a Canadian kid. He's from Vancouver Island, uh, I think just outside Victoria. Uh, He and his family moved uh, him and his mother, I should say, moved to Alabama when he was a child so he could pursue uh, Division I scholarships, basically went to a prep school in Alabama uh, to sort of gain the attention of some bigger programs. Got to play for Ohio 
um, not Ohio state, but Ohio, <laughs> regardless, uh, you know, now pursuing his dream with the hometown team. And it is really exciting to see what he has here. And if the BC lions carry on like this, they are a legitimate gray cup champion caliber team. My hat goes off to Nathan Rourke and the BC lions, Elliot. Uh, so we missed a show last week. If we had, we certainly would have talked about the U.S. Open because I watched it all last weekend. It's one of my favorite golf tournaments to, to watch. And so my hat this week goes off to the winner of the U.S. Open, Matt Fitzpatrick, who won by one stroke, uh, going shooting minus six through four incredibly grueling rounds of golf. I don't know if you guys watched any of the, any of the U.S. Open this year. Um, you know, traditionally it is the toughest tournament. They, they, the conditions are always the, the most awful and most atrocious. That's sort of what make it, makes it what it is. Um, but this year, particularly bad, just horrifically difficult. Uh, and to shoot under, you know, under par through four rounds, anyone that did that sensational, they had a sensational weekend. Uh, and to win it, um, you have to give your hats off to Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick. Here's a question that I heard and I want to pose it to you guys based on your golf skills. And this may either will tell you a lot about how you guys golf or how much, how much you think about or how good of yourselves you think you are. If you started with minus 72 at the U S open in those conditions, do you think you would make the cut? Hilarious. No, absolutely not. Not no, for sure. Those guys are the best in the world. I'd be a plus 72 by the end of the weekend. Even if the cut was like minus one or minus, you think you drop 70 strokes in, in, in two 18 hole rounds of golf at the U S open. Uh, well, no, that's a lot. Maybe not. Maybe not that many. Yeah. Maybe not. If you gave us, if you spotted us that many, I think we'd have a fighting chance. It's only 36 strokes back. That'd be, yeah. yeah, You'd have to do pretty good. (laughs) I love that this is your hats off, but I <laughs> wanted to know if you have heard of the Canadian connection though with Matt Fitzpatrick. Have you heard about this yet? I haven't, no. So when he accepted the trophy, he acknowledged two people. One was his coach, Mike Wal- uh, Walk- Walker. Uh, he said the exact quote was, uh, I've spent a lot of time working with my coach, Mike Walker, and my biomechanist, uh, bio that's a hard word to say, biomechanist, Sasha McKenzie. A lot of people are like, who's this guy? And what the hell is a biomechanist? Oh my God. Bio McKenist. Sasho, Sasho McKenzie is a professor at St. FX um, University, I guess, in Canada. And he has developed a golf training method that is now being considered by a lot of people to be this like advanced sort of um, biomechanist strategy for developing your golf swing. And Matt Fitzpatrick believes that it added uh, almost 30 yards to his drive and improved his accuracy and all of his irons play, just this specific strategy. The guy, Sasha McKenzie, has also won the Antigoshan uh, Golf Champ- Golf Club Men's Championship two years in a row. So clearly it's working for him too as an amateur golfer. So uh, we should all be lining up to figure out what the magic sauce that this guy out of Nova Scotia has got and every other pro player should be signing up as his client. But a great little shout out to a Canadian professor who's teaching men how to golf. And it's working because... As you say, Matt Fitzpatrick is the champion of the U.S. Open. So good one. I like that That's one, Elliot. Uh, Braden, round us out here. Who are you taking your hat off? All right. My, uh, my hat is going off to uh, a hockey player that I have been very fond of since he got drafted fourth overall in 2017. He is the Consmite Trophy winner, 
and the uh, uh, he is the namesake of my fantasy team. Dude wears Makar. Kale McCarr, I'm tipping my hat off to you, buddy. He had the most points in the playoffs behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. How they are still, after being like 20, 20 days out of being in the playoffs, still leading the playoffs in points is ridiculous. But uh, Kale McCarr had the most points of the team still in the playoffs. Um, and now Stanley Cup champion. So hats off to Kale McCarr. All right. That is our show for this week. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, of course, as always, please subscribe if you don't already. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Tell your friends about the show. And in the meantime, have a great week. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.